Reading this morning from Luke at chapter 11, starting at the first verse. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thank you, Willie. That just shows you that God has a sense of humor, that we got an enacted parable in the middle of Willie's prayer, not a knock on the door, but a ring at the bell. Let's pray to God for his help. Our Father, our prayer is simple, that you would speak to us from your word, because it is your voice that we want to hear, and when we study your word, that is what we hear. And may that result in a greater dependence on you as you equip us and commission us into the mission of Christ. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. Now, as a whole church, over the course of this year, we are studying Luke chapters 9 to 19, Sunday mornings and in our small groups. The big theme of that section in Luke's gospel is equipping a church to follow Jesus in his costly mission. Equipping a church, not individuals, equipping a church to follow Jesus in his costly mission. But of course, the church is made up of individuals. And Jesus wants us all, but he wants us to do it in the context of a local church. 
to engage in the mission of Christ, which is telling people the good news of salvation in Jesus. It is a big ask, humanly speaking, within our Christian culture that every single person in a local church who is a Christian, or it is a big ask that every single Christian in a CU is liberated, enabled to speak the good news of Jesus to people who aren't Christians. Am I right? Because that doesn't happen dynamically in churches. And yet we come up against the strange paradox that it's the kind of ABC of being a Christian, being commissioned into mission. Now, there are lots of people within the Chalmers Church family who are speaking the gospel to others. There are lots of people who are reading gospel books with other people. And that's normal. But our prayer is that as a whole church, we will be liberated to do that. Why are we refurbishing this building? Well, so the building will be fit for that purpose. And just in case we thought we could have kind of 10 months to wait for the building to magically uh, turn us into a missional church, we're not going anywhere. We're just down the road. This is a big burden on our hearts. And what a wonderful thing it would be as if God by His Spirit enabled us to be evangelists for Jesus, all of us. Now, Luke has made it clear that following Jesus in His mission is costly, and the second half of chapter 10 and the first half of chapter 11 is all about depending on God. Following Jesus in his costly mission is not going to happen, dynamically at least, unless we depend wholly on God. We cannot participate in his mission in our own strength. We need to do so wholly dependent on God. How do we depend on God? Luke is teaching us in this section two things. Last week, 1038 to 42, by listening to His Word. So uh, the very activity that we are engaging in at the moment, all of us, including the preacher, is listening to Jesus' Word. We will be, we should expect to be, more equipped, more engaged, with a clear understanding of how that will happen in the next 30 minutes, because we are sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to His Word. And the second answer to the question, how do we participate in Jesus' mission, depending wholly on God, is by praying to God. You see, it's really clear, really simple, and really important, and really profound. How do we depend on God? By listening to Him and by speaking to Him. That's it. Really clear, really simple, 
really important and life-changing for a church if it does it. Now, our focus today is depending on God by praying to Him. Just pause for a moment and think about the practical reality of prayer. So I pray by walking. I need to do something to focus the mind. Sometimes I shut my eyes, but that's not a great idea. Think of how daft that is. You know, think how daft it is that we gather here on a a Tuesday once a month and pray for all sorts of things across the world and just talk out loud to an unseen God. How crazy is that? Well, that depends on what you understand prayer to be. And if prayer is real, and if prayer engages God, then it's a mighty good thing to do to stop doing anything and ask God to do it. It's a good thing to do. It's a rich thing to do. And Chalmers is a praying church with a praying heart. Prayer so obviously, by its very dynamic, by its very uh, physicality, expresses one's dependence on another. Now, in the context of Luke's gospel, which is about being commissioned into Jesus' costly mission, what are we to pray about? Well, we are to pray about our engagement in Jesus' mission. That's why Luke includes this teaching here. Questions. Do we find mission easy? No. Do we find it easy to tell people the gospel, the good news of salvation? No. Think of the last time you explained the gospel to someone. And we must not get away from the fact that that is the ABC of being a Christian. Was it easy? Or the last time you asked someone if they would read the Bible with you, was it easy? Now, I know in saying these that there are all sorts of us who haven't done that. This is not a rebuke. Well, if it is, it's to me. It's getting us to come to terms with the incompatibility in the Christian life between what we actually do, that is, speak to people about Jesus and read the Bible with them, or not do, and with the fact that that's the ABC of the Christian life. It's the normal food and drink. It's what you do each day. How do you square these two things? And the answer is, we don't do it because we haven't come to terms with the fact that we can't. And it's a kind of, it's a, it's a wonderful thing when the penny drops and we come to the point where we are absolutely, helplessly, urgently dependent on God and His Spirit. Now, that's where we're going. That's what Luke is teaching us. Now, you see on the sheet, I've got some simple headings. Firstly, who we pray to. 
Let's read verse 1 again. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, that's John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and this whole passage is like primary one or year one. Tell us what to pray. Yes, when you pray, say. And if it challenges us thinking that it should be more sophisticated, because we are perhaps more sophisticated, more mature as Christians, it's meant to take us back to year one. When you pray, say, Father. Now, we pray to our Father. It is familial. A Christian is someone in the family of God. A Christian is someone in a real, living, dynamic, personal relationship with God. Think of Jesus. God made man. You are in as a Christian a real, living, dynamic relationship with Him. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. His Spirit indwells you. We speak to God not as a distant divine being or a force, but as a Father, as a person. Now, the word Father here is intimate. It is the word a child uses for their father. It is Abba. It is Dad or Daddy. We had a baptism in service one. I was asking uh, John, um, whose child was being baptized, has she learned to say Daddy yet? And it's often the first world a child learns because of the the, 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 the phonetics are easy to say. It's a simple word, dada, abba. And it expresses trust, love, dependence. Now, this is not irreverent or inappropriate to call God daddy. Think of the context in Luke. Following Jesus in his costly mission necessitates our dependence wholly on God. As a little child is wholly dependent on their parents, would you ever say to a little child that words like mommy and daddy are inappropriate? I like it when my big children say daddy. And here's the thing, when you grow up into maturity in life, you put away childish things. You put away words like mommy and daddy. And you grow into a situation of independence. And when you grow older and your parents grow older, they become dependent on you. But in the Christian life, we never, ever, ever 
in terms of the realm of our dependence on God, graduate from being a little child to a sovereign father. He is always daddy. Not irreverent, totally dependent, intimate, trusting. And for the Christian life, following Jesus in his costly mission, we need to have the dependent attitude of a little child. Why is it that new Christians are often the most zealous in evangelism? Why is it? It must be more than the fact that it's the kind of enthusiastic beginning. It must be more than that. It's because a new Christian has just been saved, and to be saved is to be utterly conscious of one's dependence on another for salvation. And so you start the Christian life wholly dependent on another, and these first years of the Christian life, the first love that people have is lived in dependence on God. For the Christian life following Jesus in his costly mission, we need to retain the dependent attitude of a little child. You think how many times the Lord's prayer, as we call it, is spoken. And people or churches say, our Father, or in the other Gospels, our Father in heaven. And what they are saying is they are saying, my daddy, I can't do anything. In heaven, you are the King of glory. And yet, by our attitude and by our lives and by our corporate census churches, we do not, by the way that we live, live in light of the fact that we are utterly dependent on God in mission and evangelism. I want to encourage us never to grow out of childhood with respect to our engagement in Christ's mission. Now, we should not hear this as patronizing in any way Daddy, it is God's Word, it is the Lord Jesus teaching us how to pray. It is not patronizing, it is appropriate. It is, for one thing, an appropriate expression of who we are in relationship to God. We are forgiven sinners, He is Almighty God. We are weak, He is strong. We are fickle, He is faithful. Our adoption is always as a child, always as a child. It is not patronizing, it is precious. We are not distant or estranged from God. We are part of His family. It is our precious privilege and joy as adopted children of God to address God the Father as Jesus addressed Him, Abba. And it is not patronizing, for it is extraordinarily powerful For in prayer, that starts off with that childlike dependent word, we are expressing our dependence. We are laying hold or taking the hand of an all-powerful, saving, 
creating, majestic, sovereign God. It's an important word that we use to begin praying. Now, secondly, what do we pray? Lord Jesus teaches to pray. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. What are we to pray? Well, not necessarily these actual words. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Though that would be appropriate. Having not prayed these words often on a Sunday for a long time, it would be appropriate for us to do so again because they are no longer habitual or ritual. But I think what Jesus is saying here is that you should be praying about the hallowing of the name of God. You should be praying about the coming of the kingdom of God. But you don't need to use these actual words. They're like themes that dominate our prayer lives. Let me just spell them out and ask us to consider if they do indeed dominate our prayer lives as a church and individually, that God's name would be honored, that his kingdom will come, that God will provide for our daily needs, our forgiveness, and our protection. Notice, too, the corporate emphasis in the prayer. It is not give me, give me, forgive me, lead me. It is us, us, us. So much of the Bible is us, us, us. It's corporate. This teaching here is more, I guess, for a local church than it is for an individual. Us, us, us. And note the priority. God's honor and his kingdom first then our needs. God first, then us. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, then give us each day. What does it mean to pray, hallowed be your name? Hallowed's an old-fashioned word. We don't use it often now. It means revered or honored or esteemed or valued or praised, given the respect it deserves. Let me ask you this question. Is God's name revered, honored, esteemed, valued, praised? Is the name Jesus revered, honored, esteemed, valued, and praised in our culture, in people's lives? Well, I think we know the answer to that. So we are to pray that his name will be honored, that God will be glorified. What is God's name? God. What does the Bible how does the Bible use names? Well, it has all sorts of names for God. Eternal God, promise-keeping God, all-powerful God, God who rules, God of grace, God our righteousness. Hallowed be your name. Think of mission. Think of Morningside. Think of the CUs in the city, the universities. Think of Edinburgh, of Scotland, of the United Kingdom, the Western world, the globe. Our Father, my prayer is that your name would be honored, that people would recognize that you are an all-powerful God who rules, a God of grace, a God of righteousness, a God of perfect love and majesty, and it breaks my heart that your name is trodden in the dust under people's feet, because that's what is going on. 
Hallowed be your name. How does that relate to mission? Well, every time someone becomes a Christian, God's name is honored. That person who has had scant regard for who God is, or worse, now reveres Him as their Lord. There is a world of a difference between somebody using the word God, perhaps neutrally or sarcastically or even as a swear word at worst, and all of a sudden at conversion, what is the language they use? Abba. The words Abba, Father, and Jesus, I think are wonderful gauges of whether somebody is a Christian or not, the ability to use these simple words. You see, when it comes to mission, it's childlike dependence. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? Well, God's kingdom is God's rule. To pray that God's kingdom will come is to pray for God's rule to be manifested in someone's life. In other words, it means somebody becoming a Christian. And God's kingdom comes individually. So when we pray that God's kingdom will come or His church will grow in a city or in a country, that always works itself out in personal salvation. Your kingdom come. When we pray your kingdom come, may your kingdom come, Jesus, in that person's life, in this person's life. May your rule, Jesus, come into their life. May your kingdom come in people's lives in this community, this university, this nation, all the nations of the earth. And as we pray thus, the Lord Jesus will equip and enable us to tell people the gospel that His kingdom will come in their lives. As we pray thus, people will be sent out from churches, called to take this message to the nations of the earth. And of course, praying your kingdom come has a future dimension, the return of Jesus when the kingdom of God will become the kingdom of this world. See, when you pray your kingdom come, your prayers are focused on the adding to the number of people who are in the kingdom of God, those who acknowledge the rule of God until the Lord Jesus returns as king over the new creation when the kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of this world and is Christ. But God is not indifferent to our needs. And so we are taught to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Daily provision, daily forgiveness, daily protection. Now, this is in the context of mission in Luke's gospel. What do we need as we engage in Jesus' mission? This works in my mind, but it might seem strange to you. What do we need as we engage in Jesus' mission? Answer, we need what we need. We don't need what we don't need. We mustn't look for what we don't need. We mustn't grasp hold of a silver bullet because there is no silver bullet other than God is who we need. What do we need? We need God and we need daily provision. We need enough, enough, just enough, not more than enough. And that cuts, I think, into the whole financial realm. There are three... Uh, 
words in Scripture to describe money, adequacy, poverty, and luxury. No, poverty, adequacy, and luxury. Poverty, adequacy, and luxury. Adequacy is the line. Adequacy is what we need. We do not need more than what we need. It's why back in chapter 10, Jesus says, go out into the harvest fields of the world with what you, not even with what you need. And I will provide. And if we've emptied some of our bank accounts to refurb buildings and buy buildings and assets, well, I think we're, we, we still have what we need. That's fine. We need daily forgiveness to engage in mission. We need to keep coming back to the one who has saved us to be reminded of salvation and forgiveness. We need to keep dealing with sin, otherwise we will be kept back from mission. And we need daily protection, because if we plant a church like Redeemer, or if we refurbish this building, and if we become a church where all over the church more and more of us are engaging in evangelism, then we need the protection of God around us. It's not a wall to stop you going out. It's a shield that you need to go out. Lead us not into temptation. Third, how we pray. Now, this is marvelous stuff in Luke, and uh, it's great that we get to this. See if you can understand what's being said. Let, let's read verses 5 to 10 again. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend? So think of a friend that you have. will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, my friend, lend me three loaves. Why? Because another friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to say before him. I can't feed him. And the person, your friend, will answer from within the house, don't bother me, the door is now shut. It's midnight, my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, there's a word that you may not have heard before, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, Jesus uses this story to make an important point about how we pray. This is what it's about. Someone has come to your home after a long journey at midnight, okay? And you want to show them hospitality to give them food. Now, you've got to shift from a Western culture, which would be grumpy, especially if you're in Edinburgh, maybe not so much in Glasgow, but in Eastern culture, you just would move mountains to feed them. It's just expected. If someone comes to your home, you set a meal before them. It is a matter of honor, respect to your family and to their family. It is expected. And so you want to feed them and you go and look and your fridge is empty and your cupboards are bare and you've nothing to set before them, no bread to give them, the shops are shut and you're in a panic. It really bothers you. It burdens you. So you say, hang on, I'm just going to go to my friend's house. And you go to your friend's house and you bang on the door or ring the bell and your friend says, look, it's far too late. I'm not giving you anything. My kids are asleep. Do you know how long it takes me to get them to sleep? And they're going to wake up if I open the fridge. The word impudent 
means persistency bordering on impertinence. So what does it look like? You ring the bell, no answer. You ring the bell, no answer. You ring the bell, no answer. You bang in the door, no answer. You pick up some gravel and throw it at the bedroom window. Bordering on impertinence, you're so concerned that you need to get this bread. Why do we not pray like that? For two reasons. One, because we don't think that engaging in Jesus' mission is that important. The point of this story is that when we see people who are lost without Jesus, it's like them coming to our home in Eastern culture, and come what may, it is a matter of honor to us as a Christian and to God that we find something to feed them. What do we feed them? The gospel. We don't pray like this because it doesn't matter to us. That's one reason. The other reason is because we don't think our cupboards are bare. Because we haven't come to terms with the fact that our resources to do mission are nil without God. And then comes the punchline from Jesus, and we're back in year one or primary one, and we need to listen to it like that with all our sophistication and ability. And this room is chock full of gifted people who engage with their minds and their gifts to God's glory in all sorts of ways, but when it comes to evangelism, we're back in primary one, and the teacher says, look, I'm telling you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And these words have caused all sorts of controversy for Christians because they're ripped out of their context. He's not talking about all manner of things that we might want. This is no prosperity. This is power for mission. Ask me. Every day is a promise from the Lord Jesus. Then verses 11 and 12, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give? And the point here is that God is good. God's not going to give us bad things when we knock and when we ask. I think Jesus says this in part so that we don't think God is the person in the previous illustration who only gives us what we need because we are cheeky. You know, these illustrations are there to make a point. We're not meant to run with every part of the analogy. God gives us what we need because He is good. As a father, I will not give my children anything that will harm them. I will give good things. And if I do that who am evil, how much more so will God who is good give us what is good? And I think what this is saying is that in mission, we need to ask for God's help. And this is saying to us again, I really mean it. I really mean it. And the problem is, you just don't do it. As a church, you just won't do it. I really mean it. Now we finish with God's answer. And there's a wee shock here. It's not what we expect. What do you expect 
verse 13 to run out as, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give good gifts to his children? That's what you expected to say. It doesn't. It says, give the Holy Spirit to us. Why the emphasis on the Holy Spirit? What do you need in mission? You need Jesus sitting at his feet listening to his word. You need the Father to whom you pray and you need the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, the whole Godhead behind you like a wind enabling you in mission. Following Jesus and his mission is costly. We must depend on God. We pray as a child to a father, Daddy, I need you to hold my hand. I cannot do it. We pray for the honor of God's name. We pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for our daily needs, daily forgiveness, and daily protection. We pray persistently, earnestly, impudently. We pray absolutely confident that God is good. And as we pray like that, individually and as a church, God gives to us the Holy Spirit to enable us to go out, to speak out, to answer people's questions, to take the flack that comes, to trust that God will grow the seed and gather in the harvest. Oh, but we say, surely at conversion I have the Holy Spirit. He indwells me, so He does. But God needs us humbly, like a little child, to say to him, I need the power of that Spirit to flow out through my mind, my lips, my heart, my will, my motivations, to lead me into mission. So take Jesus' promise to heart. Think about this, pray it this afternoon. Don't wait till this building is refurbed. Don't wait till tomorrow. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And the hard thing is not asking these words. The hard thing is getting your mind and heart around the fact that you're like a little child needing to hold on to your daddy's hand. That's what we find hard. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this uh, marvelous teaching in Luke's gospel, full of life, full of challenge and encouragement, full of what is authentic about being a Christian. Will you help us to listen? Would you give us the humility to set aside all our credentials? And when it comes to mission and evangelism, the only silver bullet we need is to be like a little child holding on to our Father's hand, empowered by the Spirit of the risen Christ. I can't do it, Jesus. Will you help me? May that be the prayer we pray as a church.
evermore. Amen.